This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled, Drill Down for Good. This is the second message in the series, Do Good, Feel Good Christmas. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So welcome to 12 Stone. We are so glad that you're with us today in this Christmas season. So let me tell you the story, a true story. A few months back, uh, I was was acknowledging to myself that I was slipping a little bit in my eating habits, right? You know what that's like. And 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 I'm saying to myself, man, I... It feels so good when you're fit, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. I just, you know those moments where you just say, man, I'm going to do better. I, I, I got I to gotta pay attention to this. And, and so I made this little discommitment to myself that I'm, I'm going to do good in, in, in eating better. And then a couple days later, I walk in the door after work, and the aroma is fantastic. <laughs> and it draws me to the kitchen. And Marsha's pulling out freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. And hence the battle for do good or feel good. <laughs> and, and I tell myself, no, I'm going to do good. I'm, 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 I'm going to do it for about 15 minutes. <laughs> and then I say, you know what? I, I'm going to have a little compromise. And, and all, all I'm going to do is have a half a cookie. I say, just half a cookie. What's a half a cookie? And then so I start looking over the cookies, and I want to pick out the one with the most chocolate chips. Do you ever do that? It's like, man, if I'm going to waste... My calories, I'm going to get the most chippage. So I, so I find the one with the most chocolate chips, and I break it in half perfectly so I get the most chocolate chips. And, and when I eat this, I mean, it's already warm. It's just melting in my mouth. A happy dance is happening. And I, I feel good. And I knew that I would. At, at bedtime, by the time I went to bed, I had eaten eight one-half cookies. <laughs> And they were all fantastic. It felt so good. <laughs> but as I'm laying there in bed, do you ever do this? Do you ever have a conversation with yourself? Uh, maybe I'm the only weird one. I, I'm talking to myself, and I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? You're t- I, I was mad at myself. How many of you have ever been mad at yourself? You're just like, doggone it. I'm just mad at myself. I mean, why do I do that? I'm, I'm like, I'm on this track. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to feel good if I do good. And we left off last week with this conversation. Here's what we discovered. It's on the screen. It's in your notes. Fill in the blank. When you chase feel good, it progressively destroys good. When you chase do good, it grows feel good. And if you missed last weekend's teaching, you can get online and you can pick it up and you can catch up. Because we're into this 30th Christmas that we've been together as a church. And and, and as we celebrate this, we put a little twist to it. We, we want to kind of have a fresh a leaning in and discovery to, to this Christmas season. And, and, and with it, 
We're learning a little something from, from one man's story, Cornelius, camping on Acts chapter 10. And he would have a, a challenge for us along this do good, feel good dialogue. That, that really it's transforming. And so he would walk us through some things and recognizing that Christmas isn't just a, an event you celebrate to, to feel good and just, then just move on. It's, it's really an awakening you join. So, so we left off saying in Acts chapter 10, this is an awakening. We're here to join. And if Cornelius could have a bit of a, of a conversation with this, he would tell us the first thing you got to do is gear up for good. And, and, and that's really where we left off last weekend. And, and then he'd say that, no, you got to move on from that. And where we're going to go today is you got to drill, you got to drill down for good. And that's just a whole nother level of conversation, but it still doesn't end there. He's going to say you, and, and then you need to reach out for good. And he would remind us, as we left off last week, that, that there are some shifts. When it comes to, to gear up for good, there's some shifts that need to be made in your life. Three of them that we talked about. And, and again, you can go get last week's teaching. And, and you might get done with that and realize, oh my goodness, that just, that, that, that changes your life. I mean, it alters you. But equally, you discover that it's inadequate because you need to move on to where we're going to go today. And that is, you got to drill down for good. It's been said that we all live three lives. We live our public life. And this is in your notes if you want to kind of fill in those, those blanks. You live a public life. We all live a private life. And we all live a secret life. And we'll talk about how God wants to drill down for good. But, but then when you get done, you think, well, it's all about me then. Because you get into this dialogue long enough by the time you're done at the end, you're in this whole secret life of your world. It's like, yeah, it really is. It's just all about me. And, and he would remind us, no, it's really not. In fact, in fact, you really need to reach out for good. If good is going to have its place, you're going to get the good life that God has for you. And, and that's where, where you start asking the most important, what, what, what is? What is the greatest good? And, and you know, if you're asking the wrong question, then the answers really don't matter. They're not going to change your life. You got to figure out what questions really matter. What is, what is the greatest good? So today we're going to camp out on, on week two, drill down for good. And, and, and that God would, would, would tell us in, in, in Cornelius' experience, you got to drill down into your public life. You, 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 got to, you got to do good there. Your public life is the life that everybody sees. It's, 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 it's in the bigger world. It's in the bigger scheme. This is the one where everybody has access. And, and Cornelius was doing good. In his public life. Acts chapter 10 verse 2 where we read last week. He said he was giving generously to those in need. And, and God would say well done. In fact you may never think about it this way. But God would be applauding Cornelius. And saying well done man. In fact God would be applauding 12 stone these days. Just saying you know in our public life. The, the, the stuff that we're doing good. We take the Christmas offering this month. And some of you are giving to it last week. Or you'll do it today if you have opportunity. Or, or over this month. And, and we're, we're be, trying to be generous. And, and, and do good to others around us in the territory. And God says oh that's so good. We're, we're doing the shoe boxes. Oh so good. And we know it's not a box. It's a kid. And, and we're going after. Could, could we even get 30,000 on our 30th uh, uh, Christmas together? I don't know. I mean wait. We, we we got, we got so much momentum last week, we said, well, let's keep it going. Now, let's see if we can do it this week. And we'll figure out a number, and we'll, we'll share the number next Sunday together on the 17th. And no matter we hit that number or not, it's still fantastic what, what we do. And God would applaud and say, oh, church, well done. You may never think about it this way, but God's applauding and saying, yes, I, 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 I want that good to drill deeper. But, but that, that's still not the end, because Cornelius would remind us as God reveals to him that that God's good goes deeper and lasts longer. 
And it's not enough to do good in your public life, important as it is. But you got to drill down. And this has to get in your private life. And your what life? Your private life. Your private life is the smaller circle. That's what's seen by your family and, and, and close friends. And that's a much smaller world. And in that world, do good. In that same chapter 10, verse 2, Cornelius was, was blessing and impacting his family. And God would be applauding him and saying, oh, so good. Listen, God ordained family. He created family. That you would bless one another in your marriage matters. That you would bless each other from parent to child and among siblings. Oh my goodness, that matters to God. And God applauds that. You know, you don't just make it about the people outside in the community. You, you go bless inside. And it matters in the church family. God's our heavenly father. When we come into a relationship with God through Jesus, we become his kids his sons and daughters, and he calls us brothers and sisters. Church family matters to God. God's the author of it. Over, over Thanksgiving break, Jaden, our 14-year-old, he has, he has a handful, just some wonderful friends. Uh, we had a chance, uh, one, one of them hung out with us uh, uh, for, for, for a day or so, and, and anyhow, when, when he went back home, his dad dropped a, a, a note to me, a, kind of an email, and and, and what he wrote caught my attention. Let me read just a paragraph. He said, my son came home and talked about the kindness he experienced with your whole family. And here, he wrote, when someone blesses my child, it blesses me. I thought, you know what? That's true. I mean, isn't that true as parents? When someone blesses your kid, it blesses you. And he, went, I, he, and he finished with this line. He said, that's how God feels with us. When we do good to one another, he, God, feels good. And I think, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. When, when we bless each other, serve each other, care for each other in the family of God, God just loves that. I mean, parents, don't you love it when your kids actually get along? I mean, come on, you're just like, when you see your kids do something good for each other, you're like, oh, oh. God's answering my prayers. Blows your mind, doesn't it? And it just blesses you. When we, when we care for each other, love each other, serve each other, God just applauds and says, I love that. And it blesses him. And it frees him up to bless us all the more. Among our church family, friends of ours, the O'Brien family has worked through just a tremendous trauma. Michael, uh, the father, dad, um, husband uh, had a stroke this past October and just traumatic. And his, his wife, Jody, uh, sent a note to the, to the small group. We won't be making it to small group tonight. Now listen, what does family do? When that happens, what does family do? Check out this picture. The whole small group went down to the hospital, brought the small group to the hospital to serve and bless the family there. And I'm like, oh my goodness, God applauds. It says, that's what family does. Isn't that what family does? That, that's what family does. It's a beautiful thing. And God applauds. Listen, when, you, when we serve each other, and when you pour into kids in, in nursery and you're serving in nursery and you're loving on and encouraging other people's kids during that time and, and they're saying, oh my goodness, God's like, well done. When you're serving in preschool or, or K through fifth, it, that's a spectacular thing and it blesses God. It blesses one another and that blesses God. When, when you pour into kids in middle school or, or high school, I mean, you, you, it, it so blesses a parent. 
We got people like the, the friends of ours, the Champas here, Stephen Champa. They, my kid goes over to their house in small group, Jaden. And I'm telling you what they do for the life of my kid. I smile every Monday and I say thank you. If I could applaud them, I'd say thank you. We bless each other and God applauds and says, well done. When we pour into college students and you serve and you sacrifice and you give of your time, effort, and energy, when you do small group, when you do greeting, when you do ushering, when you're out in the parking lot, when you're in production or behind the scenes or in worship, whatever you're doing to serve in compassion and the like, God just stands up and says, that's what I want from my church. I want you to look at some scripture, one another passages, because this is how God designed us. In fact, I want everybody with me to read this scripture aloud. Here across the campus, I want you to read all these. We're not going to read the scripture reference, but we're just going to read how God created us for this one another stuff. And this, this is what he's called us to do. So you ready? Here's the first one. Read it loud and proud with me. Ready? Here we go. Love one another. Here's the next one. Read it. Honor one another above yourselves. The next one, forgive one another. The next one, serve one another. We got three more. Check these out. Build each other up. Next one, pray for each other. And finally, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. See, God loves that. We were made for church family. And it matters that you serve and God applauds. During the men's prayer gathering season, there were some guys who got together and said, you know what, we want to go bless some of the single moms. I want you to listen on one of the stories, Sherry Ellis. We just did a little, they just did a little phone kind of capture video thank you of how it blessed her. I want you to listen in. Hey, 12 Stone, this is Josh at Flyer Branch Campus, and uh, here with me is Sherry Ellis, and they're going to share a little bit of her story with us. Now, Sherry, uh, you're a single mom, correct? Yes. Could you share with us a little bit about um, what it's like as a single mom? Just knowing that it all falls on my shoulders. Right. And couple that with you know, financial worries and upkeep of the house and yard work. Um, <laughs> It's just difficult sometimes knowing yeah. that I don't have someone to lean on when it yeah. gets overwhelming. And it right. definitely gets overwhelming. Yeah, sure. Now, now recently you had some gentlemen uh, from 12 Stone from the men's prayer gathering that's come out and did a few things around the house, right? Yes. Can you give us a few examples of some of the things that they did? Oh, it was great. They were just great. They came out and they, on a Saturday, they fixed um, my kitchen sink. My faucet was leaking and it was loose. They fixed the um, shower in my son's bathroom that uh, would just spin and spin and not actually turn the water on. So he hadn't been able to use that shower for the past year. So they fixed that. They fixed um, the blinds that w wouldn't open. Um, they changed the filter in my refrigerator, which my son had been reminding me for months that the light's still on, Mom. Um, I had just bought an edger for the yard, and I didn't have a clue how it worked. So they helped me put it together and showed me how, how it worked. Um, one of the guys was a real estate agent. And I had my house trying to sell my house, so um, he walked the house with me and gave me some pointers on how to make it more marketable. Um, and oh, I had this ginormous hornet's nest hanging from my front porch that um, that uh, that hundreds of bees resided in. Um, they went to church the next day and talked to one of the guys that um, that does that for a living, and he volunteered to come out that following week and um, take it down for me. So they were just amazing. That's also how big of a blessing was that for you? Oh my gosh, it was so great because while I'm while I'm not um, helpless, you know, I'm I'm not very handy when it comes to household stuff. You know, the extent of maintenance of my house is limited to me mowing the grass. So for them to come out and do this stuff, 
I would have had to have called a plumber and yeah. a handyman yeah. and an exterminator. And they came out and knocked it out in just a matter of a few hours. And they were genuinely happy to do it. Mm -hmm. So it made me even more thankful for them and for our entire church family. Sure, thank you for sharing your story. Sure. Isn't that a cool thing? You're just like, well done. See, that's family. And that blesses God. And God just, I think God applauds and says, well done. Well done. In fact, 12 Stone Single Moms, we... We, we know it's uniquely challenging to be a single mom with raising kids. And you know I come from a single mom situation. I grew up there in that from middle school on up. And our church family was just gracious to us and blessed us. And, and they really have a lot to do with what influenced in, in me and in, in helping me and, 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 and all that God's been gracious to do. But that was critical back then. And, and you know one of the reasons we take the offering that we're taking for the Christmas offering is to bless uh, our, our single mom. So if you're a single mom today, we just want you to know. We, what we'd like to do is just bless you with, with a honey-baked ham. Frankly, that's the, the ham I buy at my house for, for Christmas, and I love it. I'm, I'm kind of addicted to it. We enjoy it on, on Christmas, and, and we want you to have one. We just want to supply just a, a little Christmas, Christmas dinner, and if you don't like the ham, you can get the turkey there. But, but on the way out, would you just let your church family bless you? Would you let us just kind of buy you a Christmas ham and, and be kind of the center of your Christmas dinner and let us bless you in that way? You pick out a, a pick up a honey-baked ham, a uh, gift certificate on the way out today and and it's just us saying we love you and God loves you and you matter to us and your church family's with you you're not on your own and and let us be of encouragement and let, let me let me also add to that listen if, if you're among us today and you're under some financial distress and you're in a situation where you're you're not sure man I don't I don't know uh, how I'm going to provide the food and, and gifts at Christmas and you're in that kind of distress man, your church family loves you and you too, on the way out, stop and let us provide you with, with, with that Christmas uh, meal of the, the, the honey-baked ham and the turkey. And you pick up a honey-baked honey ham card because this part of the way a family takes care of each other and loves each other and encourages each other. It matters. And God says, oh, I love that about my church when my kids care for each other and serve each other. This is, this is critical. Blesses God and blesses us. You know, our family has little memento things when we just celebrate the bonding uh, moments of family, and it's precious. One of those ways is at Christmas when we put up ornaments. Do you do this? We have ornaments. Here's one of them. <laughs> that, this is probably the oldest ornament on our tree. I got it years and years ago from the whole family and, and, and the kids, and I unwrap that one every year. I, I'm the only one that can put it up on the tree. Okay? And it goes front and center. If you ever see our tree at home, this is there because that's how Santa really wishes he could deliver presents. Okay, that's the deal. Uh, here, here's some other ornaments that we put up on the tree. Here, here's a couple of Santas. Now, Jaden, about five, six years ago, he and I went to one of those pottery places and, and we painted those. And, and now we put them up on the tree individually and we talk about it. It's a bonding, kind of a cool, fun thing uh, that he painted in traditional red. I did Harley Davidson orange. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Uh, this we've been doing for 10 years. You, maybe, you, maybe you can't see it, but it says 12 stone. It, it's an ornament, and, and it has 2007. We only did a few of these for some staff and some, uh, a small group on our 20th anniversary. And every time we hang that up as a, as, as a family, we, we just, we're reminded that we're part of a bigger family, a church family. And, and, that, and that matters to us. It's meaningful. It's bonding. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. And so we thought, you know what, on our 30th 
Christmas together, why don't we give everyone a little gift of a 12-stone Christmas ornament? So you're about to get one. That's why the ushers are all standing up right now. So ushers, go ahead. They're in little buckets. And we have one for every family. So you have one of these for every family, kind of a cool thing. And when you go home today, you take this. You can pull one out right now. They'll pass it down the the, the rows. You take that. You go home. You put it on your tree. And every year when you put that on, you're like, you know what? We're more than just a nuclear family. We're part of a a church family. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. That's kind of fun. And and while you're doing that, I'm going to keep talking. So we'll see if you can multitask. Because uh, God would say to Cornelius, you got to drill down for good, not only into public good, not only into private good, but into secret good. Now you can say that with me while you're picking up your ornament. Into what kind of good? Secret good. Say it again, everybody. What kind of good? Secret good. See, you got to get into your secret life right here. Your secret life is where your heart is. It's the place only you and God see. God would say to Cornelius, (laughs) the good that you're doing is awesome, but I have a Christmas good for you, a Merry Christmas that goes below your public, below your private, and into your secret life, and it's transforming. And I'm going to tell you the story. Again, this is multitasking for you, but I'm going to walk you through the middle part of Acts chapter 10. If you want to turn there, it's page 1102, or you can just listen, whatever works, page 1102, and let me walk you through a, a, a detailed story that is insightful for us and instructive. Now, Cornelius, we left off last week, Cornelius was, was doing good in his public life uh, with those around and giving generously and with his private life blessing his family. But, 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 but the angel of the Lord came to Cornelius and he said, Cornelius, God's seen your work and he's been applauding. And now he has something he wants to do. He wants to bless you. And so you send someone to Joppa for Peter and bring Peter to your house and God's going to do something you cannot imagine. It's going to be a Merry Christmas. Now, Peter, simultaneously, while he's in Joppa, he has a vision from the Lord. And the vision from the Lord is a blanket that descends. And on the blanket is clean and unclean animals. In, in the Jewish uh, Mosaic law, they were differentiating the, the, the animals they could eat from and couldn't. And, and there were those that were clean that could eat from and those that were unclean and they would never touch. And, and the voice said to him, eat from anything on this blanket. And Peter said, I never would. I'm a good Jew. I I follow the Mosaic law. I would never eat what's unclean. And then if you're in chapter 10, page 1102, verse 15, the voice spoke to Peter and said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure. Don't call something unclean that God has called clean. See, Peter didn't even know what it meant yet. But what God was saying to him is, up till now, the Jews have thought they're the clean ethnicity, the the separated, the called out people. And they were God's holy special people. And the Gentiles, non-Jews, of which Cornelius was a non-Jew, a Gentile, therefore, he was considered unclean. He can't come into the kingdom. So therefore, the clean Jews can't associate with the unclean Gentiles. What Peter's about to discover is Merry Christmas is no longer just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles. It's for all of us. The work of Jesus Christ can make all of us clean and restored to God. I mean, this is where it all happens in chapter 10. Well, Peter hears about it because the Holy Spirit says, men are coming. I want you to go to Cornelius' house. And he goes there, and here's what he says to him when he gets to look at verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. 
This is good news. If you're a non-Jew, this is really good news. I'm not a Jew. This is good news. All the way to today. Verse 34. I now realize, Peter says, how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Verse 35. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And then he goes on to tell the Christmas story. That Jesus came. God left, sent his son, Jesus, from heaven. Came to earth, took on human form, lived a life of doing good. In fact, verse 38 describes it. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. By the way, what he's talking about is this Satan. You have an enemy, Satan. And Satan wants to kind of get you to have a secret life that's separated from the good that God wants you to do in your public and private life. Listen, many times you can do good out here and it has the appearance of good. But deep in your soul carries secret sins that undo the very good life that God wants you to have. And God says, listen, you got to drill down. I'm going to transform you right here. A Merry Christmas transforms you right at the soul of your being. And so he goes on to tell them. Verse 43, all the prophets testify about Jesus, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Merry Christmas, Cornelius. <laughs> it's come to your house. You can be forgiven of all your sin." restored to God, and you are made clean. You are made good from the inside out. Whoo! And he was born again and baptized, and oh, so much good for Cornelius, for his family. You know what God's telling them? What you have been about up till now has been religion. See, Cornelius, all along here, this doing good in public and private can be very religious, but what I'm now offering you is a relationship. And in that relationship, I will transform you at the core of your being in secret places. And the good of God then becomes the, the basis from which all good springs out. And you'll no longer do good because you know it's right. You'll do good because the good is in you and it flows up and out of you. It's transforming. So God wants to get into your soul, your heart, the secret place. And I wrote this for us because I want to make sure we hear this. If you keep God out of the deeper secret places of your life, if you stiff arm God and he never gets into the real mess of your life, then you never become good deep down and you never get the good life he has for you. Never. Merry Christmas is to go to your soul in the secret places where only you and God know what's going on. And that's where he makes you good. And when he makes you good there, you're good. That's where the good life comes from. Merry Christmas, Cornelius. Now, how does that play out? Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 11. Look at it. It's on the screen. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. There, there are two insights. They're very clear. They're very specific. I put them in your notes. In fact, this might be where Peter begins to teach us. The first is yoke up for his pardon. Yoke up for his pardon. The, what he's telling you is, is, is he's painting a picture here, and it's not an obvious picture. If, you, like me, you grew up in suburbia, you're like, a yoke? I don't get it. It's a rural picture. So we'll put it on the screen. This is what a yoke is. A, a, a yoke is what connected two oxen. 
And so the yoke would connect the oxen so they can walk side by side and together they can plow a field. And what God is saying to us and to Cornelius is, listen, you've been plowing through life on your own, but God sent his son Jesus and now you yoke up with Jesus and you plow through life together. Now Jesus will pull for you and pull with you. God with us. You're no longer on your own. It's the most beautiful picture. Yoke up, and he'll not only forgive you of your sins and cleanse you, but he'll do life with you. You do life with him. This is a beautiful picture where you are made good, and now he pulls for you and with you. But for that to live out, the second thing is you have to learn to live good in secret. Learn to live good in secret. You see, there is no good until it gets into your secret life. You're not trying to get the appearance of good. There is no good life from the appearance of good. The good life God has for you comes from the good going deep in your soul, being good from the inside out. And that means you have to learn to live good in secret. And you have to learn. This is a journey. This is a process. The power of the Holy Spirit in you. And, and, and Peter would pick up this teaching from Cornelius' story that he was a part of now in Acts chapter 10. And I think he would tell us, get past your pride. Right, right. He would come under here and say, listen, God, if God's going to transform you down here, you got to get past your pride. Past your what? Absolutely. Because in your pride, you say, I've got this. See, Peter was probably 22 years old, give or take, when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. And then he rose from the dead. Peter had been a disciple of Christ for three years. He, he became the lead apostle. And at the age of 22, Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. I know you. I know you in secret places. I know your vulnerabilities. I know where you tend to stumble. And Peter said, no, no, I won't. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. I'll follow you. Listen, I'll die for you. I'm so committed to you. I would die for you. <sighs> Jesus says, no. No, you have vulnerabilities deep down. You have places where you'll cave. Peer pressure, you're at risk. He says, no, God, I've got this. I've, I've got this. <laughs> Listen, we, we, we can all do that. We can all have places and times in our lives when we say, I've got this, which allows me to lead into one of my favorite stories that if I could tell it once a year, I would, but I try and get to it at least every couple of years. One of my favorites, iconic here. We'd grown beyond tent camping to pop-up campers and then into hard side campers, and we discovered why people have campers. Because you actually have a kitchen and a bathroom. In the middle of the night, you don't have to run out and find the bathroom in the cold. And you wake up and you can have a warm shower right there in the camper. This was glorious. I loved it for about three days. And then I woke up that morning and Marcia said, uh, the black water tank is full. You need to empty it now. I'm like, well, that's disgusting. Human waste has been sitting there 100 gallons just cooking for the last three days in the heat. I don't want to do that when I wake up in the morning. She said, well, it's got to be done. I said, I don't want to do it. Well, it still has to be done. Well, I still don't want to do it. So I, oh, this will be the first time that we ever have to do it at a campsite. 
All right, fine. So I get out the book and I read through. I go, what are we supposed to do again? I said, Josh, my firstborn, help me get off. So we get the hose and hook it up to the, to the trailer. And, and fortunately, we got a, a septic site thing on. And I, I get the hose from the trailer and I, 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 I undo the septic drain. And whoo, that's rich. Uh, and, 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 I, and I hold the hose in there. And while I'm doing this, my wife is hovering. And it's annoying me. Anybody get annoyed by that? I mean, just when you're over my shoulder, it annoys me. So I'm down here. I'm getting ready. And she's looking over my shoulder. And she said, I was walking around the campsites. And I noticed that people have a doohamajiki on the hose that locks it in to the septic drain. Honey, I've got this. Why don't you go cook a little breakfast? Because I've got this. She's like, oh, you've got this? And she backed up and stayed for the show. (laughs) Then I yelled to Josh, let her rip, man. And he pulled the cork in. Now, you might not know this, because I didn't. When a hundred gallons of waste gets released, gravity has a force to it that you might not be aware of. I was not. When it hits the hole, oh yeah, that thing ripped out of my hand and started to snake. And I'm trying to grab it as stuff, it is going all over. And I get a hold of it and I cram it back in the hole and I can't breathe. I'm just over my shoulder looking for oxygen while I'm holding it and I'm throwing up in my mouth. And, and as I'm trying to get oxygen, I see from the corner of my eye, my wife, with that annoying wifely wry smile, So you've got that, honey? <laughs> that afternoon, we went to Walmart. There's this doohamajiggy that hooks onto the hose and then it locks it in. When Peter said to Jesus, I've got this, there was a pride in that that wouldn't let him learn from Jesus into his secret life and humble himself. You know, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter denied Jesus three times under peer pressure that he didn't understand how vulnerable he really was. Made a mess. I don't know what your secret sins are and where you battle. I know Ashley, a 12-stoner, came to me a couple months ago after service and said, PK, I just want you to know how blessed my life is because of what God has done in my heart through this place. I just want to thank Tallstone. I said, well, I really just want to thank God. I said, write it down. Here's her story, the last part of what she wrote. God has always been in my, a part of my life, or you know, as she thought, but I only honored him in short bursts at my own convenience because I didn't trust him, she wrote. I didn't understand that by letting alcohol go and letting God be in 
my shepherd and truly surrendering and letting him take me where I needed to be, that I would have the comfort, companionship, relationships, the peace, and everything else I was searching for through these red, puffy, spaced-out eyes. I was living as a shadow of who God had intended me to be, which I never would have realized without taking alcohol out of my life. And God is the only possible way that could have happened for me. I was drinking before I even brushed my teeth in the mornings and on into the night. You name the time of day, I had alcohol in my system. I even bartended for a living. But today, God has done and shown me amazing things and has completely taken away my cravings for alcohol. I didn't have any withdrawals, which was unheard of because of how much my body was dependent on it. It's like God just took everything I thought I wanted in alcohol and gave it to me in a form that brings joy and glory to him. That's what I crave now. That is what I bring with me everywhere I go. And only God could have helped me stop drinking. And by the way, I'm still a bartender. And she's helping people experience transformation in their life. Isn't that a great story? See, I don't know. I I don't know where you battle. I don't know what your secret sins are, but God wants to get in the mess of your life because, listen, he knows your mess anyway. (laughs) Maybe it is abusing alcohol or drugs. Maybe it's something broken in your marriage and there's sin. Maybe it's sexual sins. Maybe it's overspending. Maybe it's anger, temper. Maybe it's jealousy, envy. Maybe it's pornography. They all have the same effect as the chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) For a fleeting moment, it feels good. And then you loathe it. And you never get the good life God has for you until he gets in the secrets. That's where he transforms. In fact, Peter would go further and say, keep battling what beats you. Keep battling what beats you. See, you won't read this, but between Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15, something happens. The story is in Galatians chapter 2. What happens in Acts chapter 10 is Peter discovers that you should never call anyone unclean who God now calls clean. That means Gentiles are not second-class citizens. They don't have to follow the Mosaic law. They don't have to become the customs of Judaism in order to be saved. But there was this sense from the Jews that the Gentiles are second class. Now in chapter 15 of Acts is the Jerusalem council. And with the Jerusalem council, they now all settle over here that it is true. Gentiles are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and they don't have to become Jewish to do that. Now what happened in between? A moment for Peter, where the old Peter, the what Peter? The old Peter showed up. See, God had already transformed his thinking. But now, now, he's in Antioch and the church is growing. A bunch of Gentiles have come to faith and he's eating with them and fellowshipping with them like he would any Jew. But Jews from Jerusalem come to Antioch, and they start saying, now this, no, no, no. If they want to be first-class citizens and be clean like us, they're going to have to become like us in our customs. Right now, they're second-class citizens, and Peter, you shouldn't be associating with Gentiles. Now listen, 
Peter already has been transformed and he knows the truth. Peter's now in his late 30s or late 40s. Look how long it's been. And he starts to feel the old Peter creep up, crop up, rise up. And the peer pressure gets to him. And the apostle starts pulling away from the Gentiles and quits eating with them and hanging with them. Which is a way of saying they're second class, they're not clean. The very thing God taught him in Acts 10, he was denying with his actions. The apostle. Let me talk to you if you've been a Christian for more than five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. The things that once beat you and took you out in your secret life can come back. Yeah? Have you figured this out? You're never just over stuff. Satan will go after you wherever your vulnerabilities are. The very peer pressure, vulnerabilities, fall to weakness, need popularity, succumb to the influence of others, took out Peter again. Years later. That's why he'd say, keep battling what beats you. It is not by your strength, but the power of the Holy Spirit continually in you, working in your secret life, that makes it possible for you to be good and do good at the core. The Apostle Paul confronted Peter, and Peter humbled himself and said, I messed up. And at the Jerusalem Council, said it for everyone. What God has called clean, don't you call unclean. Is there something right now where the Spirit of God would say to you, even though you've been a Christian for a while, you're starting to drift, get sloppy, fall to old ways? Maybe this is your moment, like the Apostle Paul, to humble yourself and let God do the work in your secret life. In fact, for all of us, yoke up with Jesus and learn from Him. Don't hide your secrets from Him. He sees them anyway. (laughs) Open up your secret life to Him. Yoke up with him and then learn from him. That's how you enter into a Merry Christmas for the good life. And what's at risk? That you think after all this, it really is about you. (laughs) Just about you and your little personal relationship with God, and it's not. That's why we will pick up next week with Reach Out for Good. But until then, as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, maybe you need to ask yourself, have I yoked up with Jesus? Am I truly learning from him? And is there any secret sin that I need to grow through. So bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, these are the conversations you long to have with us. To teach us to yoke up with you. And there might be some of us right now who would honestly say, you know what? I I don't really yoke up with Jesus. I I, I do a few religious things, but you know what? Maybe God, over this Christmas season, you're awakening the truth to people who are are far from you and, and unresolved, and they're right here in earshot of this prayer. And God, I pray that you would reveal your truth to them, and that through this season, through the next couple of weeks even, that they would come to faith in you and say yes. Many of us who have yoked up with you, maybe we're struggling with truly learning from you and walking with you. Maybe the battles in our secret life, we're trying to keep separate from you, and that's the very place you want to make us good. Maybe we need to confess those to you right now and own them. It might be as I'm praying, God, 
that what you want to whisper by your spirit into some people's spirit right now is confess your sins to one another. That's another of your one another's. And maybe when we leave this place having confessed it to you this week, we need to go to somebody and break the secret. By telling somebody else, look, here's what I'm battling with in my secret life. By telling somebody else, we break the secret and we break the power of the secret and that'll be important to this process. To help us learn from you and walk with you and let you drill good down deep into our soul so that we are truly good. You make us good and then you help us live, God. God, would you bring Christmas so deep in us that the well of the good that is you would reside in us, flow through us. We would not only have the good life, but we would learn as we walk in it next week, then we reach out for the good life. Seal this in us, I pray in Christ's name. And everyone agreed saying, amen. Amen.